Welcome to Dental Talk. This is Dr. Phil Klein. Before we get started, I would like to say with a heavy heart, our guest for this podcast, Sally McKenzie, unexpectedly passed away only a few months after recording it. Sally was a dear friend of mine for more than 20 years. Her writings, in-person speaking, online webinars and podcasts, and her creative practice management tools helped thousands of dental professionals across the globe build and maintain successful dental practices. Sally may no longer be with us physically, but her teachings and love for all the folks she had the opportunity to help and become friends with will be with us forever. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the podcast. You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. On this Viva podcast, we'll be talking about how to reduce your overhead and how to turn a struggling practice into a profitable one. Our guest and expert on the topic is Sally McKenzie. Sally is CEO of McKenzie Management, a full-service nationwide dental practice management company. She is also an international lecturer, author, and publisher of the New Dentist magazine. Her articles appear in Dentistry Today, Dental Economics, Dental Tribune, and the CDA Journal. She is a regular guest on VivaLearning.com with her regular CE webinar series. Sally, it's a pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. The title, by the way, I, I found very interesting because um, actually Sally provided this title for us, and it's called Too Much Month Left at the End of Your Money. That's, um, I think it's a very interesting title. It certainly grabs your attention. So let's start with the basics. How does a dentist categorize expenses to determine overhead for, for their general dental practice? Thanks, Phil. Well, for ease of comparing their expenses to the industry, <clears throat> I would start by grouping them into five main categories. So the first one would be rent and utilities. The second would be staff salaries, payroll taxes, and benefits. The third would be uh, dental and office supplies. And the fourth would be laboratory. And the fifth is going to be everything else better known as miscellaneous. Mm -hmm. So once you've done this, <clears throat> then you divide the total of those expenses for the month by the collections for the month, not the production. I've had dentists always say, well, is that divided by the production? No, you can't spend what you don't have in the checking account. Mm -hmm. So it's by the collections. And then this establishes the percent of collections that equals that expense. So the industry ideal is 5% for rent and utilities, 25 to 27% for staff salaries, tax, payroll taxes, and any benefits that they provide, 7% for dental supplies, 10% for lab and, and, you know, everything else, anything else in that area, and miscellaneous is 10%. So this information can be and should be compiled by whoever pays the bills. And QuickBooks is the most popular bookkeeping system for dentists uh, out there that's used by the majority of dentists. Um, I also think that dentists in the beginning years of their practice should be paying their own bills to get a handle on where the money is going. And do not delegate this to an employee in your practice. Hmm. That is somebody in the front office <clears throat> or a dental assistant. This information needs to be kept private and beside the fact that they have other tasks to be doing that is going to increase the business. When somebody's paying a bill, it, it is not 
increasing your production. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that an actual practicing dentist should not delegate that task out to pay the bills? Ne not to an employee. Never, ever, ever. And what's, the, what's the main reason for that? I mean, you did say a few reasons. But what, what, tell us more about that. Well, the, uh, I mean, there's several, but uh, um, another reason other than what I stated uh, that I, I want that employee's efforts, <clears throat> that her, her time, his or her time in that day to be focused on tasks that are going to increase my business. So paying the bills, we know, does not does not do that. The other reason is that they so they're paying your credit card bill and they're saying that you have 15 charges on there a month, uh, for the month at the most expensive restaurant in town. In the meantime, I've asked for a raise and you're not giving it to me. Oh, I see. Uh, so I see. that that is just not it's just not uh, good. You you can easily I've done this myself. I've gone and uh, gotten several people, bookkeeping assistants off of um, Craigslist, for example, that have QuickBooks experience. They're a contract basis. <clears throat> they come in and, you know, do the bill. They give me a profit loss report, you know, every month. Or a lot of dentists have their spouse do it. Like I said, dentists in the beginning years should do it uh, themselves. But do not ever have an employee do this. So you mentioned that. Um, people in the office, employees in the office shouldn't be doing the paying the bills because they lose production. But the dentist is a big producer himself or herself. So do you recommend that, that the dentist does the uh, bill paying off hours? Absolutely. OK, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. If you're if you're running a business, I mean, you're going to have to do it you know evenings weekends or whatever that's just what you do when you start out with a business okay you know um and i think a lot of dentists look at it as as a secretarial type of work okay that they don't have <clears throat> they don't have time for that but let me tell you what if you're having trouble paying the bills and their money is an issue you need to know where every cent of your money is going but the main thing is that it's it's too sensitive of a subject for uh, employees to know where the money is being spent. No, that makes total sense. So what expense categories can the dentist really control? Well, let's start with what the dentist cannot control, which okay. is pretty much a fixed cost, and that's going to be rent. Okay, at 5% of the income, it's always important to simply take a, a monthly lease payment divided by 0.05, and that gives you the amount you have to produce and collect in a month. So I, I strongly encourage uh, listeners to do this before you ever sign a lease. I mean, if your rent is going to be $6,500 a month, that's 5% of $130,000 a month in collections. Are you going to be able to do that? Right. Now, for the expenses the dentist can control are staff salaries, benefits, dental and office supplies, laboratory, and miscellaneous expense. So, for example, supplies. You would have one person, not multiple people ordering, and managing the supplies within a budget. So if you're collecting an average of 70000 a month, and clinical and office supplies should be no more than 7%, then the ordering person gets to spend only $4,900 a month 
on a year-to-date average, period. Mm-hmm. And what about laboratory? Well, it's important that your financial coordinator is collecting sufficient down payments on work that incurs lab charges, and we see this all the time. We see patients coming in, getting a crown prep, and the front office person hasn't collected a dime. It's a very common occurrence, especially if insurance is involved. So the dentist needs to make sure that he or she has set down expectations on down payments of lab-related treatment as part of the financial policy. And also evaluate your fee versus the lab charge, which, you know, ideally would be a figure around seven to eight times the lab charge for your Mm -hmm. fee. Right. So with human resources being 25 to 27%, which is the biggest part of the overhead, what's the best way a dentist can control this? Well, let me break this down further. Payroll should be no more than 19 to 22% of collections. The payroll taxes and any benefits the dentist provides is an additional 3 to 5% on top of that, taking that to total 25, 27%. But if the dentist percentage, uh, if the dentist percentages in this category are higher, it could mean that they have too many employees. That and the fact that they're paid too much is the natural conclusion that anybody would come to. Mm -hmm. However, what we find as consultants more times than not are employees with unproductive job descriptions or no job descriptions at all. (laughs) So you have an employee who's busy doing busy work, but this work is doing nothing to retain patients or to bring new business into the practice or collect money. So it's important to recognize the difference between helpers versus producers in increasing revenues. Helpers, for example, like clean, you know, treatment rooms where producers are calling past due recall patients and unscheduled treatment plans and they're bringing back business. Once in a while, we'll come across a long-term employee who keeps getting yearly raises, but their performance has been the same for many years. They're simply just doing the same old thing, the same old way, and the economy has changed, the people change, and, and now they're getting less than results. But but more times than not, Phil, we, we find an underproducing hygiene department. The hygienist is, is getting a guaranteed base salary, whether she has a patient or not. The practice has a weak recall system, and that perpetuates Mm -hmm. that there's no shows. So instead of eight patients a day, they're seeing six or seven. But it could also be caused by the practice having more days of hygiene per week than they have active patients. And that's where the patient retention comes into play. In other words, the practice had enough patient demand for eight days of hygiene a week at one time, but they've been losing patients and not tracking the loss. And now they only have the need for six days of hygiene, but they're still paying eight days a week of hygiene. Mm -hmm. So it's very critical to measure how many days of hygiene they need per week, every three months. Yeah. And there's also a certain amount of compassion that goes into employer employee relations. I mean, if there's a person who's with the practice for 20 years, like you said, they're not really doing anything more or they haven't kept up with the times but they feel that maybe they're entitled to raises just because of the duration of time they've been with that practice. Are you saying that's probably not a good idea to pay raises or or implement raises to an employee just based on how long they've been there? Uh, Raises 
uh, in my opinion, should be given based on the performance of the employee and the performance of the practice. The practice cannot pay out money that it does it does not have. And of course, that's where the compassion comes in. I see dentists do this all the time. I mean, I see dentists drain their retirement account, account to pay for children they have, you know, and their college and books and a car and, you know, so on and so forth. So, but, but what needs to occur, and obviously I have services to sell here, but when you have a long-term employee like that, you need to bring in, need to bring us in. You bring in the outside consultant. We are, we are looking at the systems. We're trying to find the weaknesses because she's too close to it to see where it is Mm -hmm. and provide her with the evidence of where the performance of how these systems are working could be altered that will cause the practice to increase. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be done first, in my opinion, before you just, you know, fire somebody or you don't give them a raise. How 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 is the practice reaching its full potential? How can we make that happen? Right, right. How many years has your has your business been running where you service dental practices as a consultant company? Thirty eight. Thirty eight years. That's a lot of experience. So I started when I was twelve. When you were how old? 12. Oh, 12, yes, sure, of course. If you do the math, it's, uh, absolutely. We, we know exactly how old you are. Yeah, that you, <laughs> Thank you, you. Are, yeah, you started your profession very young. Little little extraordinary person you were. Um, so let me ask you this before we wrap up this podcast. And again, this information has been great. So we talked about the big expense, which is the payroll and all the other additives that go with payroll, like uh, the benefits and so forth. How many employees should a dentist have? Now, I know that's a crazy question, but we're talking about business employees, clinical employees, and I know it varies from practice to practice, but how does a dentist know that they are at that right number for their practice? Well, when determining the need for staff, I want the dentist to avoid the pressure to base their decision solely on the obvious, which are, you know, tasks aren't getting done, uh, dirty instruments are stacking up, collections aren't being made. Employees are leaving the dentist uh, threatening anonymous notes. Recalls aren't happening. You know, the hygienist is looking at the supply catalogs. I mean, no doubt that that stress gets very high. And there is always an understandable desire to just throw more people at the problem, thinking that's going to solve it. But instead, I want you to look at the amount of time that it takes. So one front office employee can process 19 to 22 patients in an eight-hour day. And what does that mean, process? That means checking the patient in and out, uh, basically, you know, making financial arrangements, handling insurance. They check them in, they check them out. And in addition to processing the patients, the one employee has a lot of non-patient tasks to accomplish. So the most time-consuming task is like answering the phone, and then there's filling cancellations, the accounts receivable, and so on and so forth. But how many front office employees of practice needs is not based on how much was produced. You can have a general dentist who sees eight patients a day and a pediatric dentist that sees 20 patients a day, and they both produce the same amount. Mm -hmm. So the patient volume has everything to do with tasks getting completed or not. As far as dental assistance, I suggest 
using the again the number of patients treated in a day to determine the need for another assistant and not the number of treatment rooms see it's been historically said oh you need one assistant for every treatment room you work out of that is just false information mm-hmm. if the doctor has 14 or more scheduled patients a day not counting hygiene exams that would indicate the need for a second assistant that's not chiseled and granite i mean is it going to be is it going to be the end of the world if you have two assistants and you're averaging 11 in an 8 hour day no the world's not going to stop but if you do have two at 11 i'll probably see your payroll expense be more than what it should be right so our time and motion studies you know across the country show that if the procedures are streamlined one assistant can officially maintain two treatment rooms for a general dentist using two operatories and seeing 13 or fewer patients a day and that includes setting up the room seating the patient assisting the dentist dismissing you know dismissing the patient cleaning up and 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 when that's not happening and an assistant hears that they're just like Oh, there is no way. Does that assistance task include the sterilization process, instrument processing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and don't forget to tie raises to the performance of the employee and the performance of the practice. You know, you you do, you simply cannot give what you do not have. Right. But when that one assi- if you do have one assistant and that assistant goes on vacation, what does a dentist do? Go to a temporary service? To fill in? Go to a temporary service. I mean, you know, unless the, the the front office knows how to do it and can do that, and then you have to get a temporary there. You know, a lot of practices, the dentist will say in hiring that the vacation time is there, but it has to be taken when the dentist takes yeah, his yeah, or that, Yeah, that makes sense, too. Yes, that, that's probably not a bad, bad idea. All right, well, I think um, we've covered it exactly what we wanted to cover. Again, I love the title, Too Much Month Left at the End of Your Money. That's what you've been listening to on Dental Talk here. We're with Sally McKenzie. You could get more information from her website at www.mckenziemanagement.com. And let me spell McKenzie Management. It's abbreviated. It's M-C-K-E-N is in Nancy, Z-I-E-M-G-M-T.com. And there's a toll-free number of 877-777-6151 to reach their office. And there's uh, lots of interesting content on the website. And there's free webinars on vivalearning.com. Just look up McKenzie in the search bar and you'll, in the search field, and you'll see quite a few incredible webinars for CE credit under the practice management category. Thanks, Sally, for being with us and hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me.